Well, yeah, uh, having fans is awesome. It, uh, and we don't have to stay in one hotel for a whole month. So, uh, I mean, that obviously sucked last year. I mean, we were, we were fortunate enough to play, and it was great to play, obviously. But, like, compared to how it has been so far this year, it's night and day. I mean, just the fans being able to interact more with people, not being confined to just a hotel, getting to kind of, you know, go back, go back home for a little bit and even just celebrate a little bit there. Like, it's awesome. It's just kind of what I envisioned March being like as a kid growing up. So it's kind of everything I thought it would be. You're listening to BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth from BetQL. Welcome back. BetQL Daily right here on the BetQL Network. Joe O, Joe G, Aaron Hawksworth with you on a Thursday as we get set for the Sweet 16. The voice there of Drew Timmy from Gonzaga. We'll have lightning bets later this hour, and we'll talk to Reed Wallach of BetSide. But joining us right now, our guy on the Roman guest line, Ed Egras, a fan duel more ways to win, Valley Sports West, NBC Sports Edge. He joins us now to talk Sweet 16. Ed, we got to start with a game that we've been on a lot this week, and I think it's the most fascinating game. It's Duke, Krzyzewski. We know it's ending soon, and we know the uh, the cameras will be on him. But Texas Tech seems to be the right side for a lot of people. How do you handicap this game? I The way I look at it is Duke hasn't seen a defense as good as Texas Tech all year, and I'm not sure how they're going to react to that. Well, and it's funny when you look at Duke's schedule because normally you take on an ACC slate and you would probably face a kind of defense like Texas Tech. At least somebody like a Virginia, someone like that, would slow it down, make it methodical, do all sorts of weird defensive things to where Duke should be prepared for something like that. But that hasn't been the case this year, right? The ACC was downright pitiful, maybe the worst uh, year that they've ever had as a conference. And even the non-conference schedule, yeah, aside from beating Gonzaga, Duke hasn't played a lot of teams yet. And so it's interesting to see this young team sort of try and figure things out in the most pressure-packed of situations. Sometimes they've risen to the occasion. Sometimes they haven't. And so definitely when it comes to evaluating Duke, there is an inconsistent element to it where I certainly understand why Texas Tech is sort of the favorite side here. But I will make this one argument in favor of Duke here. And that is this idea of positionless basketball. I think one of the reasons why Paulo Bancaro is one of the top names going into this upcoming NBA draft, he's a six foot 10 guy who doesn't mind shooting, who can do all sorts of things really well, also really uh, impactful on the defensive end. And I wonder when you have, you know, an incredible defensive system, if you can handle young guys who are not only playing positionless basketball, but because they're young, you don't have a lot of film on them and you don't exactly know what they're going to be doing. Like they don't necessarily have a ton of tendencies because they're young. They can do all sorts of different things. They're not set in their ways. And so this to me seems like this kind of game where Bencaro can have that coming out party. If he truly is supposed to be one of the top guys coming up in this draft and someone who's going to be impactful at the next level, then I think this is a game that he probably should win. And I feel like because of that, Duke is getting a slight edge for me anyway, and I'm willing to take a flyer on the Blue Devils. All right, well, let's stay in that West region, and it's the first game of the evening, Gonzaga and Arkansas. And we we know you are high on the Zags, but are you so high that you're willing to lay nine and a half points against the Hogs? I am. I absolutely am. In large part because I think Gonzaga had its bad game against Memphis. I think that's now done. We can move on from that. And now any sort of, you know, upset possibility of Gonzaga, you know, losing far earlier than they should, you know, been there, done that. That's done. We can all move on. 
here's the thing about Gonzaga. That up-tempo offense, it, you know, certainly it scores a lot of points. And they're all, and they are super efficient as far as that's concerned. Can score in a variety of ways as far as the front court is concerned. Andrew Nimhart, I don't think, is getting enough attention and enough appreciation uh, as far as the guard play is concerned. But that up-tempo style is probably really hard to recreate in practice. Uh, when you're facing two bigs, including one who's incredibly lanky and another one who's really experienced, I don't know how you necessarily prepare for that. And even though Arkansas certainly coached really well, uh, certainly solid on the defensive end, I just don't know how you can handle so many different weapons, score in so many different ways. I have no problem with this large number. Give me the Zags. I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. See? We've got a little yeah. upset. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The ease, you know, we got to stick together. Um, I see I see you've got an upset alert. You're on Houston Moneyline. It's plus 105. Do tell, Ed. Yeah, I'm going with Houston. First off, they're in the American Conference, the greatest conference, not just in college basketball, <laughs> but beyond. So that matters. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, like if you're Arizona, and, you know, point guard play has been a little bit inconsistent. I get that. But you got Benedict Matherin at the two. You got Christian Coloco at the five. Certainly, they have great players, no doubt about it. And they also run that up-tempo style, so I think that's good as well. But if point guard play is not the thing that you're stressing the most or the, the thing that you're most known for, then you really do need to be a really good rebounding team. And Arizona really hasn't looked the part as far as that's concerned. They're not playing like a big team. They're certainly playing like a fast team, and they can certainly score plenty of points. But TCU got back into that contest Sunday night in large part because those second opportunities just weren't there until at the very, very end of the ballgame. So here is something where if you are supposed to be truly Arizona and a big team that can beat up on whomever – then you need to be better at rebounding the basketball. And I haven't seen that. Meanwhile, Houston is really good at rebounding the basketball. They're not playing like some sort of undersized mid-major team. And Josh Carlton, Kyler Edwards, they are outstanding as far as rebounding. They can also score in a variety of ways. They're one of the best teams in terms of second-chance opportunities. And you know with a Kelvin Sampson coach team that they're going to be solid on the defensive end. And we've seen Houston be successful in this tournament before. No reason why they can't do it again. Give me the coots. Ed Egros joining us here from FanDuel talking Sweet 16. Um, Ed, as we look towards uh, the games tonight and the Michigan uh, Villanova game is intriguing to me because that number of five, it's kind of that in-between area. I love Villanova's free throw shooting. I think close game, they can cover that spread because they'll make their free throws late. But Michigan's on a good run, and they do have the size advantage in this game. Where do you lean, Michigan or Villanova? It's funny you bring up free throw percentage because it's also the free throw rate at the other end, which is why I think Villanova wins this game. Not saying anything crazy is going to happen as far as an outright goes. And especially when you're going up against a team with a lot of size, you want to be more disciplined and not put those bigs on the line. And I feel like Villanova can at least do that. If they're beat on the inside, they're beat on the inside, and they're not going to give Michigan those additional points. And so I think that matters a lot as far as evaluating this one. However, I still like Michigan to cover the five in large part because these bigs, Musa Diabate, guys like that, they're not they're willing to shoot the three. And it's lovely to see bigs play positionless basketball and, and shoot from beyond the arc. And Michigan, you know, I think it's one of those things where 
we were so used to seeing that sort of slow, methodical style from the Wolverines for such a long time. Now they're doing something almost completely different that it is a little bit jarring. Like, are these really the Michigan Wolverines? But no, I do feel like that Villanova's free throw shooting at both ends, being disciplined and then making their free throws. And then, you know, they have enough three point shooters where I think they can at least win the game. But I think Michigan's size is going to keep this relatively exciting. And I think it's going to be a lot closer than what the five is suggesting. With that, Egress on a BetQL Daily. Let's flip to Friday, Ed, and I want to start with the game that tips off last because the immediate move is kind of telling. We saw it was Iowa State opening as a short favorite some spots, and it's been Miami money all week, and now we're up to two and a half. It was sitting at two for a while, but now it's a, it's a strong two and a half. What did you think of that move, and what's your play for the game? Yeah, as far as the move is concerned, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, you know, I, I can't quite put my finger on exactly what is causing this move per se. Uh, I wonder if it's simply just wanting to have a little bit of wiggle room, but the fact that Miami is still, you know, largely getting some support, that's sort of been interesting to me. You know, something else too that it has been sort of these often ballyhooed storylines that I feel like is a little bit overrated is, okay, Iowa State had just two wins a season ago, and now here they are with a chance to go to the Elite Eight, all that stuff. I mean, I think that's fine. I think it's a it's a cool story and all, but this program did win more than 20 games just a few years back, and I think that matters when you're looking at the guys that they have on the floor. Uh, they had that six-year guard, uh, you know, who was part of, you know, certainly a lot of experience. And they've played a really tough Big 12 conference schedule to where they've been exposed to a lot of different playing styles. And so that that movement has been interesting to me. But as far as a side is concerned, I think Iowa State can pull this off uh, as far as an upset is concerned. That sort of slower, methodical defensive style, um, you know, it doesn't always translate well in the tournament. You do have to be careful. But I think in this particular matchup, it should be okay. What are your thoughts on the Providence Kansas matchup? Um, you know, Providence beating the Richmond Itsy Bitsy Spiders and the Jack Rabbits. Like Not a lot of uh, you know, competition that they face so far. It seems like Kansas is the better team. Curious your thoughts on this matchup. I feel like Itsy Bitsy Spider had to come from you, Aaron. Like you were the <laughs> only one who could make that reference among this, <laughs> this trio. Yes. Otherwise, it just wouldn't have made sense. Uh <laughs> You know, I I think Kansas covers this one. And it's funny because coming in, Providence was uh, one of those teams you circled as a four seed going, all right, well, they might lose. You know, South Dakota State's got a great offense, et cetera. But, you know, because Providence had played so many close games, like at some point that luck factor by Ken Palm was going to swing the other way. And that really hasn't happened. And that sort of style that Providence plays in terms of setting a lot of screens and keeping things compact within the free throw line. Like it's really innovating basketball, Aaron, really, really innovating basketball. <laughs> At some point you have to trust an experienced coach like Bill Self to be able to beat an unusual style. And I am a firm believer that if you do something incredibly unusual, like the two, three zone by Syracuse or something like that, if you get someone on that first, uh, you know, first game of a particular week. So you're playing on a Thursday or Friday uh, in the first round or third round, or maybe even the final four, then you have a few extra days to prepare. Yeah, certainly travel's involved, but you get a few extra days to kind of get used to something that's unusual. And I think you can make that adjustment. If you are taking on someone, say that second, fourth or in the national championship, then you have less time and players have to 
sort of acclimate a little bit faster than they normally would. And so I feel like that in terms of the coaching, I'd say mismatch, but in terms of the coaching advantage, I feel like that Kansas is getting Providence at just time to where they can play for something like that. Not to mention Ochai Abachi can score in so many ways. He's looked great as far as his tournament is concerned. Yeah, Kansas necessarily doesn't do one thing really, really well, but offensively that high-low offense can do more than enough with the personnel that they have. And so this, to me, feels like that time where that luck factor is finally going to come into play uh, against Providence. And I like Kansas to cover the big number. And we got to talk about St. Peter's. They are the Cinderella left in the <laughs> tournament. 12 and a half point underdogs to Purdue. And the interesting part about St. Peter's is obviously a lot of people jump in on the last couple games, right? Like, wow, they're, they're in the Sweet 16. If you look back to the regular season, they were the best cover team in college basketball. Their ability to cover spreads didn't just start last weekend. What do you think here? The number is really big. It's 12 and a half. We know Purdue's offense is excellent. Purdue's defense leaves a lot to be desired. Can the Peacocks cover this big number? They can. I do believe in the Peacocks, in large part because St. Peter's defense is actually really, really good. They have one of the better block rates in all of college basketball. And again, it kind of goes back to that bias that I, that I think some betters come in with, that they're this small mid-major team, therefore it's probably do, you know, doing something on the offensive end, like how Oral Roberts made the Sweet 16 a season ago. But no, defensively, they're really, really good. And this, to me, is an opportunity to see what they can do against uh, one of the top offenses that certainly has some size. I'm not saying that St. Peter's can necessarily win this game outright, but can they cover a large number when Purdue's defense leaves something to be desired to where they're not necessarily going to you know, blow them out? St. Peter's can certainly stay in this game, but it's the defense that I feel like will keep this relatively close despite the size mismatch. Uh, you can do North Carolina, you can do UCLA, or we can talk about Tennessee Vols baseball and why I need to do a college <laughs> World Series feature on them, uh, <laughs> whatever you think. Ed. No, I was wondering when that was going to come up. Yes, the you know Rocky Top, you know college baseball is the way to go. No, uh, North Carolina, uh, that game is interesting to me because I feel like the over is the play here because at some point, yeah, pace can be inconsistent in a game. Sometimes you're going to run it back and forth. Sometimes you're going to slow it down. But I do feel like at some point, North Carolina will impose its style. Where I can't, you know, take that side, but I think the over is the play in that particular game. And plus, you know, UCLA, you know, we know what they can do offensively. They can certainly show enough, and so the over is how I would take it. But if you made me pick a side, I'd probably go with the Bruins. Okay, great stuff, Ed. We always appreciate hopping on, Ed Egros on the Roman Guest Line. Get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for EDL from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to getroman.com. Slash Becky on now to get $15 off your first month. That's getroman.com slash Becky. Joe, you were wondering if we're going to hear anybody not on the St. Peter's side. No, we all like St. Peter's. Everybody, everybody. I'm waiting for somebody to say lay it. We haven't found it yet. You know what? Nope. That's all right. We'll see. We'll have Reed Wallach coming up with us in a few minutes for Betside. We'll see if uh, if he's the first one to say lay it with Purdue. I'm not sure. That, that, Ed, Ed believes in the Peacocks. I believe in the Peacocks. 12 and a half is the number tomorrow. We'll talk to Reed Wallach of Betsided about all this. I'm sure he's excited Kyrie Irving could play in home games. We'll discuss that as well. It changes the NBA landscape. That's up next right here on the BetQL Network.
These Joes are helping you bet like a pro. It's Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth on BetQL Daily from BetQL.